Welcome to the Lancet Oncology Podcast. My name is Aaron Van Dorn, and I'm speaking to you from the Lancet's New York office. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Daniel M. Green from St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, regarding fertility issues for men who have undergone treatment for childhood cancers. Tell us a little bit about the background of your study. What has the previous work shown regarding alkylating chemotherapy and use in childhood and adult male fertility? The best body of evidence is from studies that were done in adults who were treated for Hodgkin lymphoma, which showed that the MOF regimen, which is nitrogen, mustard, vincristin, procarbazine, and prednisone, produced almost uniform azospermia in males who received the standard six-month course of MOF therapy. And there were also data from the treatment of children with nephrotic syndrome with cyclophosphamide using a somewhat different schedule than we use in oncology. And that also showed a very high risk of azospermia spermia in young children so treated when they were evaluated as adults. Um, there's very little information looking at populations of male adult survivors of childhood cancer. Most studies are seriously underpowered, having fewer than 40 participants. And the one large study actually evaluated patients using what were called sterilizing doses, rather than taking a really unbiased look at the relationship between dose and response, response being the percentage of patients who were azospermic. And we had a large population of patients in the St. Jude Life study at St. Jude who had undergone semen analyses, and we thought we'd be able to take a very good look at this particular question of the relationship between cumulative alkylating agent exposure and the frequency of azospermia and oligospermia in adult male survivors. So what was the aim of your study? The primary aim was to evaluate the dose-response relationship between alkalinine agent exposure and the percentage of patients who became oligospermic or azospermic. Although a corollary question, and perhaps the more important one, was to see if we could identify a dose threshold below which azospermia was very unlikely, or a dose threshold above which virtually everyone would become either oligospermic or azospermic. Did you find a dose-specific relation? We actually did find a dose-specific relationship. You know, there, there's a very clear correlation between increasing cumulative dose and increasing risk of becoming oligospermic or azospermic. What we found in addition was a tremendous overlap of the cumulative dose distributions between those patients who became oligospermic, those who became azospermic, and those who remained normospermic after the completion of therapy. So what are the implications from your findings? Um, the implications are that virtually any male who receives more than 4 grams per square meter of cyclophosphamide equivalent dose, which was a rubric we used for normalizing alkalinine agent exposure, is at risk for becoming oligospermic or azospermic. So there's a need to offer fertility preservation methods to almost any male who is going to be treated for childhood cancer with a regimen that includes an alkalinine agent. And in our population, that included more than 80% of all the patients who we evaluated. So it's very likely that most patients should, in fact, undergo some kind of fertility preservation intervention, and that usually would involve semen cryopreservation before the onset of therapy. Do you believe that there is possible that there could be a dose-specific relationship below which would not have the abnormality problems? Well, we found that among those who received less than 4 grams per meter squared, that the likelihood of, be, of remaining normal spermic was almost 90%. So that group appears to be at significantly lower risk. At doses above 4 grams per meter squared, the likelihood of remaining normal spermic was less than 50%. So the lowest dose group, in fact, um, does appear to fare much better. What do the implications for sperm abnormalities have for the fertility of adult survivors of childhood cancer? 
Well, there are data from non-cancer populations that abnormalities of motility and morphology also correlate with the likelihood of having a pregnancy with things such as in vitro fertilization. We have no reason to think that in our male survivors that the implications would be any different. However, on the other side of that coin is the fact that with the availability of intracytoplasmic sperm injection, you really only need one sperm to fertilize one ova in order to create an embryo. So for those whose ethical backgrounds allow them to consider the possibility of in vitro fertilization, the fact that some sperm may have abnormal morphology motility does not preclude the possibility of actually creating a fetus. And what are the other implications of your findings? Uh, well, the other implication is that, that a very broad range of adult males treated for childhood cancer may be at risk for becoming oligospermic or azospermic, which means that a very broad range of our pediatric patients are at risk of becoming oligospermic or azospermic as adults. And this is largely sarcoma patients, lymphoma patients, and some patients with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Is this something that these patients have been warned about in the past, or is this something that going forward they're going to have to be more cognizant of? No, absolutely. Uh, you know, all of our consent forms for many years have included the risk of sterilization as a risk of therapy. What was really never clear was, you know, was sort of what was the specific relationship between exposure and that risk. And we now have a little bit better idea of what the relationship is between exposure and risk. And one of the things that we will probably undertake going forward is that we have some genetic data on the, many of the participants in this particular semen analysis study, and we will be looking to see whether there's any relationship between genetic traits and the likelihood of becoming azospermic. It's conceivable that polymorphisms in drug metabolizing or drug catabolizing enzymes may actually play a role in differential sensitivity of patients to these agents, but we don't know those results yet. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. You're welcome. Take care.